welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we think again about the Bible on women and men, and we start with the correct understanding of what happened in the Garden of Eden back in the beginning. Today we'll be hearing from Bruce C.E. Fleming, founder of the True 316 Project. He's a former academic dean and professor of practical theology. The foundation of the True 316 Project is based on the research of Dr. Joy Fleming, who wrote the book on Genesis 2 and 3 titled, Man and Woman in Biblical Unity, Theology from Genesis 2 and 3. Now enjoy today's episode of the Eden Podcast. Chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32 to chapter 6, verse 9, Family Members Submitting one to another. The focus of this episode is Ephesians 5.32 to 6.9, family members submitting one to another. Have you ever been in a conversation like this? Maybe you're talking with a lovable old uncle, or you're in a conversation with a friendly neighbor. You've been talking about one thing, and then you get off the track and start talking about something else. Finally comes a moment when one of you says, "Um, let's get back to what we were talking about. And you pick up with that earlier train of thought right where you left off. That's something like what we find at the start of Ephesians 5.33. Paul uses a Greek word that is usually translated into English as nevertheless or however. This Greek word nevertheless refers to something said earlier and picks up the train of thought that was left off for a moment. In this case, with nevertheless, Paul is referring back to verse 21, where he redefined the vertical act of submitting and turned it into the horizontal relationship of reciprocally submitting. This was the new way Christian believers were to be getting along in the Spirit. Even though, nevertheless, is Paul's first word in the Greek sentence of verse 533, some English translations omit the word altogether. I think it's important to include it, because it alerts us that Paul is linking back to the subject of verse 21. Paul not only redefined the verb to submit, he also used the word fear at the end of verse 21. Paul said, we mutually submit one to another in the fear of Christ, or in respect of Christ. By using the word fear, Paul signals a second time in verse 33 that he's linking back to verse 21. In verse 33, after he says a Christian husband should demonstrate agape love toward his wife, Paul says a Christian wife fears her Christian husband. How does she do that? Not in the way of a frightening fear, not that kind of a fear, but of a fear in the way of a serious and profound respect because of the ties that bind us to Christ. Because we are united in Christ, how do we then live as a married couple? Paul says, one, we love our spouse. That's an idea from verse 25. And two, we respect our spouse. That's an idea from verse 21. If a man is to love his own wife the same as himself, does a wife also love her own spouse? Of course. If a wife is to respect her husband, does a husband also respect his spouse? Of course. Our underlying status as members of the body of Christ enriches our relationship with one another as husband and wife. As Christian spouses, each being filled with the Spirit, we reciprocally love and respect one another. Taken out of context, People misuse the words in this verse. They think wives aren't supposed to love their husbands, that husbands don't need to respect their wives. They even claim that wives are to fear their husbands in what is basically a wrong way. 
These ideas misuse the words in this verse. Recognizing that verse 533 has hooks and references back to the previous verses of 32 and 25 and 21 helps us to clear away these misconceptions. And we see again the idea Paul introduced in verses 22 to 24. We see that the Christian couple is a wonderful example of Christians in a reciprocal relationship. Ephesians 5.32 is the middle point of a pattern that Kenneth E. Bailey called elsewhere a prophetic rhetorical template. This modified seven-point prophetic rhetorical pattern runs from Ephesians 5.22 to 6.9. All of it illustrates how believers submit reciprocally one to another. Recognizing this pattern is being used here is a big help to us in understanding what is going on in verses 5.33 and following. The first three segments of the rhetorical template begin at verses 22, 25, and 28. The middle part is in verse 32. The last three segments of the rhetorical template begin at 533, 6-1, and 6-5. As Paul's readers digested what he had just written in verses 22 to 31, they were coming to understand that Christians should be submitting one to another in church. But was it possible to practice this behavior in the home? That's what Paul addresses in 533 to 6-9. He takes up, one by one, the three basic relationships that could occur in the household of believers in his day. He discusses each category in turn. 1. Husbands and wives, 533. 2. Children and parents, 6, 1 to 4. 3. Servants and masters, verses 5 to 9. Try not to pay attention to the chapter break that occurs here. It's important to remember that Paul wrote this section on walking in the Spirit hundreds of years before chapter breaks and verse numbers were added by other people to his writings. There were no chapter and verse breaks when Paul wrote Ephesians. The big fat number 6 we see in our Bibles standing as the start of chapter 6 should not have been inserted where it now is. It would better have been inserted after the end of verse 9, at the end of this fifth walking section of the second half of the book of Ephesians. Paul uses the word fear in 5.33 to link back to verse 21. Paul also uses the word fear to tie together all three pairs of relationships that he gives us in 5.33 to 6.9. Here's how he uses fear in each set of relationships. 1. In verse 33, Paul uses fear when he talks about wives and their husbands. 2. In 6, 1 to 4, the word fear is implied in the verses that are addressed to children and parents. 3. In 6, 5 to 9, fear is part of the servant-master relationship. Verse 33 deals with married adults in the household. Theirs is a horizontal and reciprocal relationship. In 6, 1 to 4 and 5 to 9, Paul focuses on two other pairs of relationships in the household. These are relationships in which the individuals are in a position of inequality, as child and parent, and as servant and master. Family Circus In these ten verses, Paul provides us with a rhetorical three-ring circus. In each ring, Christian family members defy normal expectations and live in spirit-filled relationships that portray living scenes demonstrating life together in the body of Christ. As a child, I was taken to the final outdoor three-ring performance of the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. It was the last one ever held under their enormous tent called the Big Top. It was tremendous. Plenty was going on in the center ring. There were trapeze artists flying high overhead while clowns and animal acts performed underneath them. To one side, in another ring, there was an animal act with a lion tamer and plenty of threatening beasts. But wait, there was more. 
In a third ring, there was the noise of a wild west scene with horse-riding tricks and cracking pistol displays of incredible marksmanship. Could I follow all that at one time? I sure tried. In these verses, there are three rings of activity, too. Can we follow all that's going on in them? We can sure try. Readers of ancient literature were used to asking, how does this apply to life in the household? These verses sound and feel something like other household lists that were in circulation in Paul's day. Those other lists on how to organize a household reflected the value systems of the pagan religions of the day and of Judaism. These are called domestic codes. Paul provides something like a domestic code of his own, except that he modifies the typical literary forms and their content. This has frustrated a number of scholars who have tried to squeeze this section of Ephesians into an outline typical of other ancient domestic codes. Surprisingly, many claim to see a household code in Ephesians starting back in verses 22 to 31 of chapter 5. But as we have demonstrated, those verses are about a household only tangentially. The focus there is on Christ's sacrificial love for the church. When Paul takes up the subject of the Christian household from 533 on, he breaks almost every rule in those other domestic codes. He reverses the usual order they use in the way he names the members of the family, and he advises family members to relate to one another in ways that are quite revolutionary when compared to the established patterns of his day. Ephesians 6, 1-9 Let's look at the Christians who are in unequal positions in the household. Starting with Ephesians 6, 1, obedience enters the picture. For Paul, there are relationships within a Christian household where obedience is appropriate between children and parents and between slaves and masters. These unequal relationships can be limited in duration. They exist only as long as the child is obligated to obey and only as long as the slave is obligated to serve. By the way, the word obedience is never used in Ephesians 5.22-31 for how Christians interact with one another, and obedience is not required of either Christian spouse to the other in 5.33. Some people hold up verse 33 as a proof text that wives are required to obey their husbands. But verse 33 does not say this. The word fear is used in verse 33, but it's not used as a synonym for obedience. Children and Parents In Ephesians 6, 1-3, Paul exhorts children to obey their parents. In verse 4, he addresses their parents. His comments apply to individuals living in a Christian household. Paul specifies this in verses 1 and 4 by adding the words, in the Lord and of the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, four reasons are given for children to be obedient. Paul makes his appeal in terms that are appropriate to children who are already old enough and know the Lord. The four reasons are instructive and encouraging. Children are to obey because, one, they are in the Lord. Two, they are expected to do what is right. Three, they have a commandment of God. And four, they are given a promise. In verses 2 through 3, Paul quotes the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments of Deuteronomy 5.16, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. To this familiar commandment, the Jewish mind was trained to associate the parallel statement in Leviticus 19.3. Each of you shall fear his mother and his father. The phrase, in the Lord, is reminiscent of Ephesians 5.21, and the idea of fearing also refers back to 5.21. Thus, believing children actively and fully enjoy all the rights and privileges of reciprocally submitting members of the body of Christ. Christian children are, nevertheless, called on to obey. 
Disobedience to parents is not something taken lightly by Paul, as in Romans 1.30 or 2 Timothy 3.2. In verse 4, Paul turns from Christian children to their Christian parents. The Greek word he uses to refer to them is pateros, a word frequently translated as fathers in English Bibles today. However, pateros should be translated parents. In Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2, both parents are specifically named. In the reference to Leviticus 19.3, mothers and fathers are both mentioned. Mothers are mentioned first. There is no preferential treatment given to fathers by Paul in Ephesians 6.4, as if in some special way he's writing to them to the exclusion of mothers. The Greek word for parents used in Ephesians 6.4 is the same Greek word used in Hebrews 11.23. There, it designates the parents of Moses, who hid him for three months. In his commentary on Ephesians, F.F. Bruce explained that Ephesians 6.4 denoted not just fathers, but both parents. He pointed out how this fit with the parallel passage correctly translated in Colossians 3.20 and 21. Hand Washing One day, many years ago, after Sunday morning church, we greeted everyone as we left in the usual way by shaking hands all around. This day, we'd been invited for dinner at the home of an older member in that church. It was our first time in his home. As soon as we were in the door of his house, he pointed us to where we could go wash our hands. With a playful smile and a comment about germs, he encouraged us to go wash off the brethren. By brethren, he meant both the brothers and sisters we had just greeted. In a similar way in his letters, Paul often referred to all believers, both male and female, as brothers. Galatians chapter 1 verse 2 is an example of this. Thus, in verse 4, Paul forbids both Christian parents from embittering or provoking to wrath their children. Both parents are to be respectful in their dealings with their children. In Christ, their children are members together with them in the one shared spiritual joint body. Similarly, according to the Greek of verse 4, both parents are responsible for their children to, quote, nurture them in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, close quote. Paul teaches that nurturing children includes both discipline and admonition. The word discipline Paul uses here is a general term. It means discipline in general, as used in 2 Timothy 3.16 and Hebrews 12.5. Admonition means special admonition, as in Titus 3.10. Some Bible versions translate this into English properly as the training and instruction of the Lord. Thus, honorable parents, worthy of obedience, are to model righteous and measured living. Both the mother and the father are to instruct their children in biblical doctrines, clarifying for their children the motivation behind their acts as parents. In this way, their children will come to know that the loving care and discipline they receive from their parents is the outflow of the will of their loving God, who inspired the commandments they and their parents are putting into practice. Servants and Masters In Roman households in and around Ephesus in Paul's day, often there were many servants. It has been estimated that in some of the cities and towns where Paul preached, a large percentage of the population was either enslaved or worked as servants. What word does Paul have for these Christian members of the household? What equivalent truth does he have for today's members of the household? In verses 5 through 9, Paul illustrates how, even in the context of the obedience required in the servant-master relationship, submitting reciprocally can still be practiced in everyday life in the context of Christian households. In verse 5, Paul again uses the words fear and as Christ, reminding readers of the connection with 521 and all the verses between 22 and 31. In life, 
The distinction made between servants and masters is not a spiritual distinction. It is only a social and a temporary one. Paul exhorts servants to be thoroughly Christian in all they do, verse 5. They are to work as servants of Christ, verse 6, and serve as to the Lord, verse 7, because their ultimate master is the Lord, verse 8. It is from the Lord that payment would come. In this way, vertical relationships of servants with their earthly masters are overlaid with the priority of spiritual relationships. This being the case, Paul makes a bold application to Christian masters in verse 9. He tells them to act as do their Christian servants. In addition, masters are to hold themselves back from threatening, remembering that they too share a master in heaven. Their heavenly master is no respecter of person or rank, whether male or female, young or old, slave or free. Completing the Walk In sum, according to the two three-part strings of illustrations that Paul uses to explain the meaning of the Christian submission in Ephesians 5.21, Walking carefully in the Spirit means every believer is to be submitting reciprocally to every other member in the body of Christ. Above all, Christ sets the example for us to follow. This kind of behavior is possible in the church and at home. Each one is to practice this reciprocal submitting with other believers at church, and where the case applies, each Christian is to practice this reciprocal submitting to others in the household, whether as spouses, as children and parents, and even as servants and masters. What this passage does and does not say. In Ephesians 5.15-6.9, Paul explains how to walk carefully and successfully in the Spirit. In verses 15-21, through 21, he introduces in broad strokes how to do this. The culmination of these verses presents the dramatically transformed behavior of Spirit-filled believers reciprocally submitting one to another in Christ. Then, in verses 22 through 6-9, Paul presents a modified seven-part prophetic rhetorical chiasm that illustrates in detail how to practice this kind of mutual submission. In parts 1 through 3, in verses 22 to 31, he gives three as Christ examples. In the middle of the chiasm is the high truth that believers united are one in a joint body with Christ himself. In Ephesians 5:33 to 6-9, he gives three in the household examples. In this passage from Ephesians 5.16 to 6.9, Paul does not teach that man is the head of the woman. He does not teach that a man is head of the house. He does not teach that a husband is responsible for the spiritual health of his wife. He does not teach that a father is more responsible than a mother for the upbringing of their children. Such ideas are leadership heresies based on misunderstandings of the passage. I wrote an entire book discussing how these leadership heresies are not part of seven major passages in the Bible. They're not biblical. In fact, they are counter-biblical. Trying to practice these non-biblical teachings has damaged the Christian experience, poisoned home life, and weakened the church. This passage is about walking carefully as Christians filled with the Spirit. From verse 21 on, this passage is not primarily about marriage. An individual may know Christ yet never marry, or an individual might know Christ as a single, before marrying, as a spouse during marriage, and as a single again after the death of a spouse. According to Ephesians 5.15-6.9, the great mystery now revealed is that believers enjoy a relationship with Christ that goes beyond even that enjoyed by the first humans with God in the Garden of Eden. Walking together, filled with the Spirit, our relationship with Christ 
goes even beyond Eden. You've been listening to the Eden Podcast, and we invite you to visit our website at true316.com. That's T-R-U-316.com for links to our books, blog posts, and our YouTube channel with more than a dozen in-depth workshops on the seven key Bible passages on women and men from Eden on. You can also receive a study guide on this episode for use in small groups and more. Find that in our blog posts at our website or email bruce at true316.com to request the study guide. The Eden Podcast is brought to you by the True 316 Project. True316.com You can help move forward the True 316 Project. Please visit patreon.com. And thanks for listening to the Eden Podcast. Thank you.